It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome to the 181st episode of the Virtualization and Cloud Security Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Mike Foley, the Senior Architect for VMware's Technical Se- Marketing for Security, whatever. I never got the title Senior right. Senior Technical Marketing Architect. Senior Technical Marketing Architect for vSphere Security. This is a new running joke. <laughs> I've never gotten it right once. Um, but thank you. When you were reading it from my email. <laughs> yes, I think that's the only time I've ever gotten it right. So Mike and I wanted to talk to you about a few things, but we're going to start off with the latest attack du jour. And actually, this is kind of a tricky one, a, a sneaky one, actually. Everybody's heard about WannaCry impacting Windows. But what came across my mail, my, de- my email and desk recently was a new variant of that called Samba Cry, where now they've expanded WannaCry to attack Linux boxes. So if you have Linux and or Mac, you may no longer be safe. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's a lot of Linux out there. so Or a lot of Linux-like things out there as well, including major hypervisors such as Zen and KVM. Windows, we already know, Hyper-V, we already know, uses SMB. And Zen and KVM can as well, so those would be impacted. ESXi, as far as I know, has absolutely no SMB capability, so that wouldn't be on a file system basis, so that would not be a, a an attack point. Yet all of these do Active Directory authentication. And if that's the attack of... Samba cry or future attack, that's something you need to think about as yeah. well. You know, you know what? I, I, I just started looking up uh, SMB cry, right? So I get pointed to the National Critical Information Infrastructure Protection Center. And um, it looks like in India. And uh, <laughs> I click on the link and, and, and the SSL cert is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Well, oh gosh! With, with all of us doing HTTPS <laughs> everywhere, there's a lot of SSL certs that are wrong that I have found. Yeah, it's just crazy. Security companies should not have bad SSL certs or anything like that. But Samba Cry is a possibility, and to be honest, there's only one way to protect yourself against Samba Cry these days. Well, actually, there's one way to protect yourself and one way to mitigate protection. Don't expose SMB to the internet. It is that simple. <laughs> yeah, and you know that kind of goes back to what we have been saying for a million years, or at least it feels like it, is um, you know this adoption of isolation of things. Yes. There's no need to have a big, wide, open, flat network. Um, you, you really should be compartmentalizing a number of your different pieces of your infrastructure. 
Mind you, it's a lot easier to do if you're using um, VMware's NSX product, but even still. Or any you know, number of different micro-segmentation functionalities. There's four of them that sure. I know of. Yes, NSX sure. happens to have one of them, so, but there's three yeah. others you can play with. And we've talked about those in the past as well, but you're right, isolation is key. And that means not just isolation of, oh, I'm not going to expose that to the internet, but for example, in your DMZ, you probably should not be using SMB or in, on any system just to alleviate the possibility of attacks and spreading of attacks. And you know, if I'm not going to use it within my demilitarized zone trust my, that trust zone are there other trust zones that that should not be used on yeah yeah i mean it's um we just keep seeing these things left and right i mean if you look at the, the cve for for samba cry which is uh, cve-2017-7494 this remote code execution vulnerability has been there for seven years. Yep. Seven years. SSL had <clears throat> issues a year or two ago that they were there for multiple years. And everyone keeps saying, well, what are you going to do to fix it? And it's not a question of what are you going to do to fix it? It's what are you going to do to mitigate things you that nobody knows about yet. That's right. It's those unknown unknowns. I mean, and that's the key is that you need to, as a security or even as a virtualization or even as a cloud person, I don't care if you're working in the security team or not, need to start thinking isolation. Do you want your some an attack that's in your DMZ to spread to your internal network? Well, if you only have one network, I guarantee you to spread. If you have multiple networks and multiple control points, there's a good chance you can block said spread. And that's the yeah. key. It's a lot yeah, of work. I mean, it, I mean, this is not easy. This, this, this really, in my opinion, this is really starting to show the difference between compliance and security, where um, a lot of folks uh, in the security space really rely on compliance checking tools and quote-unquote vulnerability assessments uh, to do the vast majority of their security, meaning I'm going to run a tool like a Qualys or a Nessus against your environment, and I'm going to tell you all the things you need to fix that were found. But this was around for seven years. Nobody found it. Yeah. So well, what somebody are, found what are it you, and used security it. <laughs> Someone found yeah, it what and you, used it. <laughs> yeah, but – you know, people have been running these scans for the past seven years and they haven't found it because it wasn't found yet. So you have to design an architect, an environment that can account not only for the stuff that you know about, but can respond for the, uh, to the stuff that you don't know about. That's right. And that's where you get that the whole concept of limitation of duties. Now, Let's go back for a second. So for Samba Cry and WannaCry, the best mitigation is basically not allow machines that don't need to access file servers and or anything else like using those technologies or those protocols not to. And to limit access using some form of IP address or machine name locking 
or even using um, microsegmentation and whatnot with inside of various trust zones, crossing trust zones, that should never be done. Mm-hmm. Now, mitigation, that's preventative, but mitigation is really to patch. And then there are patches now for Samba and SM, for Samba on Linux and SMB on Windows, and I'm assuming there'll be one on the Mac soon coming down the pike because they all have this weakness. They're all based on the same code base. I literally, as we were starting this conversation, I had just updated my Synology disk station to patch SMB. And I did that over the weekend as well. I mean, this is just, this is just whenever it happens, you've got to do that. It's too easy to spread from one to the other. And do not think because you're running a this operating system or that operating system that you're invulnerable. You're not. Yeah, I would love for us someday to get some folks on the podcast uh, that are out there, IT folks and security folks on the podcast, and talk to them about why it is so difficult to um, to patch systems and what can the industry do to make this bit easier. Well, um, I mean, if, let's think about that one for a second. I mean, it is. I mean, we can. We're going to bring in others to talk about that. But when you think about it, it is difficult to do patches because that requires change management, and change management tends to slow things down. <laughs> That's the political side of it and the people side of it. The process side is not geared for rapid patching. That's not what I've seen. Anyways, I've seen it be very, very slow. And the other one is some yeah. of these patches break a lot of things. So people don't patch a test environment first. They just go off and say, oh, just go patch everything. It's like, ah. So people have problems with patching because of historical ref problems. Right, because the process at the vendor's um, side is possibly broken, or uh, it's possible that customers are using stuff uh, outside the scope of what the vendor originally designed. Uh, you know, it, it, it does say to me, we as the vendor really need to make this more foolproof. I agree. Right? There and should not only be the ability to patch, but the <clears throat> ability to immediately roll back that patch just in case. And we, the biggest issue that I've seen, let's say I'm on a Linux system, I've actually done patching, official patches from the official repository that have broken things like time. Time is one of those things you do not want to be broken. So literally after every time I patch, I rerun that configuration script. This is where things like Puppet and Chef would come in in handy to ensure that yep. if something did change, your automation will fix it. And right. That actually leads to the second question I really have is that what can we do to make security, for lack of a better word, sexy again? <laughs> There's a visual I don't need. <laughs> There's not a, that agreed with you, agreed with you, agreed. But when Bunch you, of security dudes in, in sexy outfits. <laughs> yeah, but when you think about it, automation is where that could be the key. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's yet another thing that we've been saying for at least however long I've been on the podcast. Well, since the beginning. I mean, we've all been saying that. 
Automation is key. If you have problems with patching, make sure you have automation to clean that up. Because once you have the automation, then you could patch, it'll fix it. You can test it very easily in a test environment, which should be 12 inches to the foot, identical to your production environment. And then, but also take care of before you patch, you may, I mean, if you're talking about virtual machines or even cloud-based machines, before you patch, you snapshot. Once you, once you patch and you test your patch, it's all right. You commit your snapshots. That can be all automated. It's not a, it doesn't have to be, oh, let me go do it by hand. Good Lord, no. <laughs> I would hate yeah, to patch a yeah, thousand and, and, systems by hand. And then that kind of brings up that whole IT versus security. And and it's been my experience, and it's, it's slowly getting better, but it's not there yet, uh, that um, – while IT understands these benefits and they can look at a PowerShell script and go, oh, yeah, I get I get what they're doing there. Um, security teams don't necessarily understand the capabilities of a virtualized infrastructure and how to take advantage of them from a security standpoint. And so, you know, because it's it's different than the process we've always run, therefore, we can't approve it. Um, that sort of mentality is what is quite honestly, holding everything back. That type of mentality has to stop, for lack of a better thing. Yeah. It really does. You need to be thinking about the future. You need to be thinking about every every the, from the developer to the C-level. You have to be thinking about how does this impact security, not just compliance, but also how can I automate this so that I don't actually have a process that's broken. I mean, it's the, only, it's, it's the only way to do security at scale. It is. And that has yeah. to be driven yeah. from, from the very beginning, from the top. It can't be yeah. driven from the bottom in many cases. So when we start thinking about security at scale, that could be an interesting thing, too, because scales differ. I mean, when, when you think of security at scale, what are you thinking about, Mike? Um, anything more than 100 virtual machines. Okay, so I'm more than 100 virtual machines. When I think about scale, I think about number of transactions. So if I have over a billion transactions, I consider that to be fairly heavy scale. And I can do that on seven or se I can That could be done on 20 VMs. Yeah. But when you start thinking about a billion transactions in mid-cap companies, depending on all 20 VMs to be available at any given time or a certain number of them, then you start talking about scripting and so forth to ensure that availability. Yeah, but you 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 also have to talk about how do we change the processes exactly to accommodate to accommodate these these things if. If you say if you're the guy who says, well, you know, we're agile, we've changed it from six months to build a server down to six weeks, I would argue you're not that agile. Nope, I would agree with you. But if you're taking right. it from six months to six minutes, exactly. Yes, yes, and mm -hmm. and to be able to do it in such a way that the output of your six minute uh, provisioning 
leaves you with a server that is managed securely. And that's, to me, you need to have that. And But that's also, again, the case of automation is required. I think that actually, I think our scale numbers are high. I think anything over a couple of VMs, you should probably, or a couple of machines, you probably should start thinking about automation, specifically from a security perspective, because any sort of configuration drift across systems, and if you have thousands of systems, this becomes even more important, you end up with a massive hole, a possibility of massive holes. Your risks are higher, and that's what you have to bring to the business, is that's going to cost you money in the long run. And it could cost you your job, and the company yeah. could. It could cost the company its its capability. It's not just your job; it could be everybody's job. Right. I mean, companies right now are are. I mean, it's not just the small mid caps that are running on the edge. It's almost everything. <laughs> you know, get more out of less, and that less is becoming more and more on the edge of what it can do. We're pushing the boundaries. And and I I foresee more and more stuff quote unquote on the edge because you're going to want at some point uh, want a um, a fair amount of compute on the edge to be able to do stuff you can't because the amount of data that is going to be processed at the edge will not allow you to just send that data to the quote unquote cloud just because of physical limitations. You're going to want to have compute at the edge that pre-processes that data and sends only maybe the deltas or or sends uh, some pre-analyzed content up to the cloud where it can then be you know worked on at a uh, learning machine level, right? All of that has security components built into it, and you know, I I worry that the existing security processes in place at companies just won't allow for that type of capability. And what you'll end up with is people going rogue and just doing it. And next thing you know, security comes along later and finds out that, you know, there's there's petabytes of information out there on these edge systems and how are they secured? Well, and that means that also comes up with the question about privacy and so forth, which we've talked ad nauseum in the past. The real concern I have about all this is that many people, and it's really a people and process problem to start with. It's a mindset. There's not many systems level engine, systems engineers out there anymore, and that is, is those people that can look at the entire view. When you're looking mm -hmm. at security, you cannot just look at a single system. You've got to look at the system of systems. You need to look at all the holes and gaps. <clears throat> one of the biggest problems that I've had with every one of the virtualization and cloud security hardening guides or security guides that I've seen, save maybe two, and I think I was participant in one of them and wrote the other, is that they are system-centric, not cluster or system of system-centric. So they mm -hmm. miss all the gaps. So when you concentrate on, hey, I want to secure Active Directory, you may miss SMB. Or I want to secure SMB, you may miss the Active Directory component. 
or the LDAP component or the fact that there's a cloud component to that. When you start thinking about it as a system of systems, your worldview broadens and then you can actually start looking at patterns of attacks in a brand new way. And, and I would argue that to produce stuff like that, as you well know, is uh, a Herculean effort. It is. And it's not only not only to produce it, but then to maintain it. Well, it is and it isn't. I think, like, for example, I mean, let's look at the reference architecture I wrote. To maintain that one has not been all that hard because it was generalized. If it was extremely specific, it was a design, absolutely. But if it's a reference architecture or an architecture that covers the system and says, you know, these are the gaps we recognize as needing to be closed, here's the possible tool types of tools to close them, you get guidance. That's what a good reference architecture is for, is more for guidance. Mm-hmm. Adopting an architect a reference architecture for your own security use is the start of guidance. And then you could modify that to be for your particular people, process, and tools. But that becomes the hard one to monitor. But it has to be very fluid, very loose. Yeah. But once you have it, then you start thinking about new things to add and new ideas and new concepts and how things spread. Should we now then start locking things down differently? This is where, once you see the big picture, this is where things like micro-segmentation really come into play. Outside of that, I just don't see it, people really using it properly. They think it's the cure-all for everything instead of just a part of a single product, more of a, a larger view. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, I know people right now in the world using the distributed firewall with inside of VMware's NSX only. And that's they're saying, that's it. That's all we're using. So they got a million and one rules again for every covering every trust zone because that's what they have to do instead of actually making trust zones using perhaps the edge gateways to limit, to be do kind of like the gross limiter. And then they do DFW inside of each one as the refinement. To me, the two go hand in hand. There's not, you don't use one over both of them. You use both of them to get that defense in depth, kind of gross versus net. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole, the whole concept of defense in depth seems to be alien to a lot of people. <laughs> well, that's, I think, also why you need the, the, the wider picture, the bigger view, because I could be looking at a system, single system say, oh, I put its firewall in or I use DFW or I use some other form of micro-segmentation, and I protected that system. It's like, okay, but how did you protect the things that it's touching outside of that particular machine? You know, that's the key. Oh, I locked it down, but what about everything else? Did you lock, like, the other thousand machines down? Yeah, I, I pulled that one on someone recently when they were talking about, yo, our vCenter, we've got it on a secure network, and blah, 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 blah. And I, and I said, yeah, okay, but um, what, what about the, the backup product that you have connected to vCenter? How's that connected? Oh, it's using the administrator account. I said, oh, really? I said, so you've just you've just told me 
that the if all I have to do is break into your backup solution, then I have full administrator rights into your vCenter. And you could literally see the gears moving behind the eyes. And then the eyes got bigger. And he went, I never thought of it that way. Holy crap. And it really is thinking it bigger, larger. Just, I mean, yeah. really, I mean, if you're a security person and you're listening to this podcast, or if you're a virtualization person listening to this podcast, even if you're a cloud person listening to this podcast, think outside your box, please. That'll get you the training you need, the mindset you need, and it'll just tell you where, hey, I need to learn more or I need to do more. Yeah. And really, this is an opportunity to really learn more. <clears throat> I mean, I look at this way. Think about, let's talk about something really, really basic. And I know you probably, I mean, think about this way. Most of the hyperconverged environments, whether using vSAN or some other storage layer, put that storage layer on a 10 gigabit network. It's required. What yep. else is using that 10 gig network? That's the big question. If it's all shared between the 10 gig for the storage and the 10 gig for management and the 10 gig for backup and the 10 gig for everything else, is this a good thing? Right. Compromise of any one of those could end up with a denial of service against any of the others. Exactly. Now, if I'm building an HCI environment and I have like a a, um, a chassis, like a, a fat twin or something equivalent to that has four nodes in it, I'll ensure there's a backplane there that it those nodes are the only ones using. That's the way I design it. And then I basically have multiple backplanes, one for storage, one for administration, and so forth. This is key. I mean, this is how blades work. You can it, they, you can set up extreme QoS limits, which is actually possibly how you would mitigate that particular problem, right? Mm -hmm. And how many people would think that a QoS on a network would solve them from a security problem? Not many. It's outside of security's yeah. purview. It's not a networking – they don't consider it a networking issue, so why bother, right? Yeah, I mean, this kind of all – sorry, this kind of all boils back down to um, um, every, everyone's looking for an easy button for this, and it's there's really not one. No, there is not one. And that's a huge, huge problem right now. We need – people to understand that while we said the mid I mean even let's go back to Sambacry when we said, hey, patch your systems, you really need to. Patch your Synology, patch your arrays that do SMB, patch your Zen KVM hypervisors that do SMB. I'll guarantee you that um, there will be yet another possible reboot of all of um, Amazon to make that patch. If they're using SMB at all, yeah, and I and I think you know you mentioned reboot. Um, if we're seeing more and more of these types of scenarios happening almost every week now, yes, that require reboots, 
and I get pushback from customers saying, but I can't reboot my environment. It has to be up 24-7. I'm looking at an, an article on Reddit. Some guy said, how can I make sure my website and Active Directory are, are always running, even though I have to update it once in a while? Well, you need to design your environment to deal with rebooting. But rebooting shouldn't be shouldn't be a um, a, a a change management level thing. Yeah, you need HA. You need you basically need a high a high availability Active Directory, you need high availability key management. You need high availability DNS. We do this for DNS as a matter of course. We all do it. It's, it's just built in. I mean, if you're doing a private DNS server and you do not have high availability, that's your own problem. You need to have it. If you do right. have it, that's great. Have multiple servers. You just make sure they're not on the same host when you reboot it from, from a hypervisor or from a um, cloud perspective. You can do that. You can do anti-affinity rules and things like that. If they are on the same house, then you got to move it first. But, you know, if I'm running a virtual environment and you're not using HA or vMotion or storage vMotion, you shouldn't have – for the hypervisor, you can reboot the hypervisor without touching anything. It's no longer a, you know, i got to do it after hours in the middle of the night because i got so much using it. But if you have to go off and patch your systems and they cause a reboot, well, first off, you need to do a couple of things before you do that reboot and even before you patch. One, ensure you haven't been hit by ransomware because once you reboot, the chance of recovering the keys are nil. Yep. Okay? The keys could be in memory still. As a matter of fact, there was a, what is it, Windows XP. Somebody built a WannaCry key collector type thing and were able to decrypt your files on you. So there, there is that, but it won't work if you reboot anything. So first, make sure you're not encrypted. You can do that by simply looking at a file that it looks juicy and seeing if it was encrypted. If it was, you can't read it, then you have a problem. Don't reboot, quarantine, get the key thing. Now, and that also means you need good backups and stuff like that, which we've talked about in previous podcasts. Mm -hmm. The second Make sure you have high availability. If you have and need another DNS server for whatever reason, boot one up or have one available. I mean, I knew one company that had 128 VMs per node. Each node, 64 VMs of those nodes were literally just for HA. They were doing nothing <laughs> until needed. They were there, though, for failover. Right. So they had plenty of capacity, they took advantage of it, and they had very lightweight DNS, they had very lightweight Active Directory and so forth, but they were able to do that level of high availability at a VM level as well as at a host level. So if they lost a host, everything came up on the other one. And if this was a small environment, I mean, granted, 384 v, 300, what, 256 VMs, it's not necessarily small, the, the machines they were running on were absolute monsters. They had like eight, eight sockets each. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and 15 line cards. <laughs> wow. <laughs> By the way, that's actually a, that machine exists today still. It's an HPE 780 or 785 or 790. They're huge. 
absolute monsters. Hate to see the hate to see the electric bill on those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about this at, way. I mean, this, the, stuff is, at, this, this, stuff, this stuff is excited. I mean, I mean, think about it. It's like, oh, I get to plan for HA. You know, that means I have to do, I have to stretch different muscles. I, that gives me availability. Right. I have to touch. I have right. to worry and, about hardware. And the, and the security team needs to be part of those discussions, so that they understand why they're why you're doing things, and why it will help alleviate security issues. Yeah, you may be talking more VMs to patch, but that's okay. <laughs> I you know, that. That's that's okay. That the, the issue being is that we're just going to continue to see more and more of these security events that the, the blanket response is, go patch your systems. Yeah. They were saying it on CNN, for God's sakes. Yes. And you know, it's... And to be honest, the security team needs to be the driver for a lot of this. You need to be looking for, I mean, part of of security is availability, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. You need to be pushing for the availability button. IT knows how to do availability, the rest right. of IT. I, security needs to be the driver to say, hey, are we available? And if we are not, let's fix that. Right. I mean, I, right. have, a comp I, mean, I have an architecture. I mean, and here's the other thing is you can do security architectures just realize that a security architecture is a guide. It is an end, it's a starting point and an end point. You may not hit that end point for years. It's not something that's like, I got to do this now. It's no, it's like, this it's is where I want to go. It's not a compliance thing. <laughs> not a compliance thing. This is, you want, this is your path to get there. I have a company I've been doing work with for, you know, seven years. And we, the first thing they, they had me do was say, hey, give us an architecture. It's like, okay, here's your architecture. Now we've had to update that architecture almost every year, but the main pro main components have not changed. We need an X, Y, and Z to do this product, and we have X, Y, and Z, but we don't have the availability for Z yet. But it right. was planned in the architecture to have it, and the reason but reason why is that the, the the technology hadn't caught up to what they needed to do at the scale they needed to do. So they actually finally got a technology that will do it or found a technology that will do it. And they're getting ready to do the availability for Z now. So when you think about it, these are long-term things. Things change so fast that you've got to be willing to look at new technologies to solve problems that you have. Scale changes everything. Yep. Yeah. So as we're coming closer to the end, um, how 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 do you think people should be looking at these things? How um, you know what are, what are their first steps when they hear about SMB cry or or wanna cry or any what what should they be doing first? Take a take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah. The whole adage, Shot of Jameson's. Yeah, the whole <laughs> adage, adage of don't panic is actually really good. Um, do some. Mm -hmm. I think they should verify that whether or not some of their external systems have been attacked and hit, and then you know verify 
ver verify, then make a plan. This is not a shotgun. Basically, Samba Cry, Wanna Cry, and a lot of the current attacks really are shotgun approaches. But yep. you can mitigate against them, and maybe that's the first thing you need to do. If you, you have not been attacked, verify your 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 external security rules to make sure that you know the right the ports are not open verify that you have not been attacked and if you have do the right thing do some research don't just panic and if you have good data protection you may not have a problem you could just you can literally quarantine and recreate yeah, one of the things I see is, uh, you know, something will get announced, we'll say on a Tuesday morning, and within an hour, people are looking for responses from, you know, vendors like VMware. What's your response to this? Like, we probably got it maybe an hour before you did, <laughs> you know? Um, you can, I mean, I would I, 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 I would highly recommend patience, especially if it's an exploit that's been around for seven years and, and affects so many things that it will take time for any vendor, not just VMware, it'll take time for any vendor to do a proper evaluation of each of those products. And there's a lot of products out there, and that's the key is that you need to have patience, but also subscribe to, if you're dealing with VMware or Microsoft or whatnot, Subscribe to their security blogs and subscribe to their security for notica notifications. I do. I get them all the time. Yeah. So it's like, we just got this and, you know, we're not vulnerable or, you know, you need to patch right away. I'm not saying VMware's ever given me a patch right away one, but some other companies have. And, you know, yeah. you need to think about from a perspective of if you are a security professional or if you are not and you are concerned about security issues, you really need to not panic. You need to be patient. If you do have questions and they're not answered by the the blogs, which will probably be coming out very very quickly after the the, the announcement, and you need more details, you know, that's what the support requests are really about. That's a part of why they're yep. there. Open a support request; they'll get to the right person. You know, but you really need to have a little patience. If it's been a week and you haven't heard anything, yeah, you probably want to like ask them, ask your, your salesperson or your support person or even contact security at usually is usually the address to find out, geez, what in the world's happening? Why aren't we hearing anything? Right. And, and understand with, with a lot of different products, um, these evaluations, uh, take time. They just take time. Um, you know, if you're looking for where do I go for VMware stuff, going to vmware.com slash security.html is the first place to start with. From there, you'll see the, um, the security response center, how to sign up for VMware security advisories, which are automated emails that come in. Um, and, and like, like you said, don't panic. Yeah, don't panic. Take a deep breath. Verify, then ask you. Verify, mitigate. 
at the gross level, and that to me that would be like ensuring things are not exposed that should not be exposed. If you verify and find out that a canary file that you put out there or something is encrypting, you're, you need to worry about that. I would also tie into your ops tools. I would look at all the operations tools and looking at CPU and disk utilization to see if they've actually been on the increase. If they have been, yeah. that could be a sign. That's a kind of a gross thing, but if you're not, it's kind of security 101 these days that you actually keep your, your ops team and your security teams using the same set of tools. Yeah, I mean, a, a tool like like uh, vRealize Operations isn't going to tell you, oh my God, you've got a security vulnerability. What it will tell you is the CPU utilization on the following VMs is way higher than it normally is during these runtimes. It's abnormal right? behavior. So it, it points provides, out ab it provides ab clues. It's abnormal behavior, and that's exactly... I mean, when you think about scale, I need tools that point out abnormal behavior, and the operation folks have been looking at these tools for years. Security folks are now just starting to use them. I know one shop that this is just basic stuff. Ops and security work really close together. They look at the same tools. This is a good thing because when it comes to a point of, oh, it's your problem versus my problem, no, it's like, okay, let's work together to solve this problem. We noticed an abnormality. Is it something because we just patched the system and it's abnormal or we put in new code and it's abnormal or it's actually a security issue? The teams are working together to determine really what the problem is. Right. And that's key if you're not doing that. Now, you also got to be aware that some ops tools look at data that in a virtualized or cloud environment is actually wrong data bad data. So mm -hmm. you need to be able to realize what is the data that they're looking at and saying, is that actually valid or invalid? That's the operations side. But as a security person, you need to be able looking at it too. You need to understand what they understand. I guess the biggest thing I could say, advice I could say is this is, a, this is the great time to broaden your horizons. The more you know, the more you can apply that security mindset, the more you're prepared to go in the future. And that is what excites me now about security more than anything else is that I've been going in directions I never thought I would be. And that I just like to learn. So it gives me all this, I mean, makes things easier for me to say, hey, you know, what about this? What about that? And I can talk to the operations team. I can talk to the developers. That language is different for everybody. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. I agree. And lately, what I mean, I know what's been boring you about security lately, but what's been exciting you about it? Um, that I, I'll say that it's it's um it's finally reached top of mind. Yeah. Not only in vendors, you know, not only at VMware, but it's reached top of mind at customers. You know, for many years, security was kind of hand waved away when it came to running a data center. Now it's okay. So, what's the security guy's thoughts on this particular thing? I think there's real opportunity here for security guys to up their game, but they need to understand how a data center is run operationally 
uh, and then craft their message that fits into that environment, not try to jam IT's thing into the way they see the world. But I do see more and more folks asking questions. And at all levels. I mean, I, just, I mean, just in our own little community of the experts and so forth, there's a lot more questions about security than I've ever had and we've ever seen in the past. There's a lot more people getting excited and, and involved in it and asking yep. those questions. There's a lot more, I mean, a lot more mindset changing going on that where people are thinking about security first instead of, you know, maybe 12th or 13th on the list. Right. Right. It's no longer it's, the redheaded uh, stepchild. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it's it's been a welcoming change. Um, you know, security now becomes the whole topic of security used to be pushed away and said, well, let's just get the ELA signed and then we'll 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 circle back on the security stuff. And there's pushback now to say, no, well, we need to have a security story before we go off and go, you know, um, you know, buy more stuff from you. And I'm hearing that across the, the industry, not just, you know, not just VMware, it's, it's across the industry. It is. It really is across the industry. I think people are looking for more holistic tools as well, things that everybody can use so that they're all on the same page. That's kind of paramount these days is that if you're not all on the same page, then you incident response becomes much, much harder. Yeah. What, one thing I will say is that I don't think um, I don't think the security ecosystem, especially you know, meaning trade showy type stuff, uh, has glommed onto that yet. They're not creating content for IT people. I They're still I very security people focused. I think our say conference is, is breaking that mold. At least last year and this year, the, the count of people attending was massive. And most people were, I mean, a good number of them were just not only security people. There's a growing number at our say conference. I don't think you're going to see that at DEF CON or Black Hat as much, but you will see it at our say, which is really much more con commercial in my mind. Yeah, I still see the focus at RSA um, around uh, threat vectors and uh, compliance. It cycles every year, and I think you're right. This year it was those. Last year it was um, a totally different aspect. It was more um, identity and threats and so forth. And a little bit about like trying to get ops. Behavioral analytics was big. So Yeah. I think you're going to see a lot more shifts. It's kind of a cycle as well. And but I'm just saying is that when you go to the conferences, the security conferences, and if you're not going to one, maybe this year you should choose one to go to just to, to get your feet wet. You don't have to be there to, to do anything but soak it up. Um, there's plenty more left in the world I mean, that you can go to. If you're going to a, a, a traditional IT conference like VMworld or AWS reInvent or even any of them, the Salesforce ones and so forth, even the Oracle ones and so forth, ask security questions. See what the response is. I bet none of them take it lightly. Yeah. 
Not anymore, but I think they need to be asked before they can realize they need to have the content there. So, Agreed. This is going to be cool. This is this year is going to be an interesting year. It's going to be a make or break year, I think, in a lot of ways. Yes, I think over the course of the next 12 months, um, you will see a tremendous focus on security operations. Yes. And I want to I want to leave that as the last thought on this particular podcast. Alrighty. And Mike, thank you so much and have a great day. You too. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.